Hey, Lakeshore family, it is an absolute delight uh, to be with you this morning. Hey, the name of our, uh, the, the sermon title this morning is, it's, the, it's called Our Great High Priest. We're going to find our text out of Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Here's the good news. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 4 uh, this morning. So if you've got a Bible, head on over there. And while you're heading there, I just wanted to say uh, a couple of shout outs to some of the church family. I certainly miss all of you, but I was thinking uh, this morning about uh, Tuesday. Uh, I was thinking about Robert and Maureen uh, Rodriguez. I was thinking about Melanie Caddick, Garrett, Garrett Wick. Uh, there's so many that I, as I think about you, I try to pray for you uh, early and often. But just know that I do care. The elders do care. We miss you. We cannot wait uh, to come together. So uh, when that time comes, we'll, we'll be together. So now that you have the Bible in front of you, let me read to you God's word again. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, therefore, let us us, that's for the Christian, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So read God's holy and inerrant word this morning. You know, the Lord Jesus occupies a threefold ministry. A threefold ministry office, I should say, prophet, priest, and king. And our precious Lord is going to occupy all of those offices simultaneously. That's how it works. You know, as a prophet, Jesus reveals the mind of God to us. Again, Jesus, as the, as the prophet, he reveals the mind of God to us. As a priest, Jesus provides access to God the Father. And as our King, Jesus exercises the rule, the rule and dominion of God. The verses that I just got done reading to you, church family, they are about the priestly ministry. Again, the priestly ministry and office of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a little bit of context. It's very important before we actually take a deeper dive into this text. So remember, uh, this is the book of Hebrews uh, is a letter. It's written uh, to a church. It's written to uh, Jewish Christians. And these would be Jewish Christians that are at risk. They, they are, they're feeling uh, the weight of persecution. You know, when we look up the word, the definition for the word persecution, it says this. It says there's hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race or religious beliefs. That's what persecution means. You know, anybody that's been under persecution or understands maybe a friend or a family member that's been persecuted, they would tell you, maybe your own experience would tell you that persecution gets, it wears you down and it gets old. 
you know, prolonged uh, persecution, persecution that keeps happening over and over again, uh, that type of persecution can begin to break you down. I'm sure there's somebody saying yes and amen to that at this very moment. But I would say this, I think it's just an observation that, that I've noticed uh, talking to you, many of you, and also my own life, that persecution, it seems to have a voice. It seems to be audible. In this persecution voice, as you go through it, it, it seems to start asking questions. Perhaps some of these questions I wrote down, you could identify with. Uh, they start, these questions start ringing in the ears of the persecuted. We start hearing things like, is this worth it? Remember the context that the Jewish Christians who place their faith in Jesus Christ are now under persecution. They're asking themselves, is this even worth it? Is it worth the cost? I'm paying a high price right now. Uh, they might hear these words in their heads. Why am I even doing this? Uh, maybe they hear this. Are, are, am I really making a difference? Is it worth it? Wouldn't it just be easier to just go back to what you know, Judaism, and, and just go back to where you came from, just give up, abandon, abort. The Hebrew writer here, again, context, he, he's worked out that many of these Christians are tempted to forsake Jesus Christ, and as I said earlier, go back to Judaism. So why would they do that? Well, the obvious answer is persecution. They're being persecuted by their very own community. We could say it this way, in their own neighborhoods and where they live, they're being persecuted. The place they call home, they're being persecuted by family members, not all family members, but many of their family members. Their businesses that they own or how they earn their living is being negatively impacted because they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're being negatively impacted. They're being ostracized and marginalized. Again, why? Because they have placed their faith in Christ. So that's what's going to set up uh, the text this morning. The Hebrew writer is going to exhort these troubled, persecuted souls to persevere, to keep going in spite of the persecution. He's saying, persevere in your faith. He's going to encourage them to do that. And, to con and he's, what he's going to do is going to unfold all the reasons why they should persevere and all the reasons why, and again, here's that theme again, why Jesus is better than, why Jesus in this context is better than what they had in Judaism. I've got a confession to make. If you're a car lover and you're an astute car buyer and you like fast things, you're going to be really disappointed by what I'm getting ready to tell you. Your pastor drives a 2007 Toyota Prius, silver in color. This car can go from zero to 65 in about two days. It's not exactly a head turner. It's one of those cars where, you know, you're driving it because, well, you know, it's got good fuel economy and it's paid off. That's why we drive a car like this or I drive this particular car. You know, a handful of months ago, uh, one of my children, adult children, I'll re they'll remain nameless, actually backed into this little silver Prius. And as they did, their car went over the top of my car and cre put in there a nice little crease, like creased pants. And now that crease is on the front hood of this Toyota Prius.
You know, that's the bad news, you know? It's a car that is a little beat up, a little weathered. It's got some character. But that's the bad news. The good news is that any time that I or my wife needs to rent a car when we're going someplace, uh, no matter what, the good news is no matter what car we get, it's always going to be an upgrade because anything's better than the Prius. So every time I get a car, it's an, it's an upgrade. Well, that's exactly uh, what I was looking forward to when I rolled up to the car rental uh, facility last Thursday. And as I went to get my car, I had all my paperwork. You know, Charmaine, my assistant, set everything up. I went to get my car. I had my paperwork in hand and, and there I had my reservation. And there was just one challenge. There was no car for me. Has it ever happened to you when you have a reservation, they say to come at a certain time, you book your car in advance, but yet there's no cars? It's almost like a reservation really isn't a reservation. It sounds like a Seinfeld episode. You know, uh, when I realized that there was no car for me and I was going to have to wait, you know, I, I did what, what any good Christian would do. Maybe you do the same thing. I just thank God for the opportunity to just stay and linger a little while in the heat and I started walking people through the glorious Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I just started sharing the good news of Christ with them. Mm, that's not what I did. I was a little bit of a, of a stinker. I was kind of irritated. But, but God, uh, by His grace, uh, He sent someone to me. He sent a worker at the, at the, uh, at the car rental place. And this lady was, was very jovial. She was high-spirited. A total uh, extrovert, if you will. So she came bouncing my way and she said... Mr. Moulton, I've got good news for you. We just got one in. And, and she did all right as she pointed to the minivan in the corner. Uh, brothers and sisters, I have four children, three of them adults, and my youngest child is 17 years of age going into her senior year. I haven't driven or my wife hasn't driven a minivan in 15 years, and I don't want to drive one anytime soon, and I certainly don't want to rent a minivan when I had something else already rented under a reservation. So I said, there's got to be something that you can do. I mean, you, you can't give me the minivan, anything but the minivan. And then she did it. She pointed to the corner, and it was like a miracle, the parting of the Red Seas, and there it was, a BMW, the 5 Series. And I said, now we're talking. I mean, Jehovah Jireh, right? Well, that's kind of out of context, but, but perhaps I thought, man, this is going from good uh, to great. She let me know that I had to pay a little bit extra for the vehicle, and I agreed uh, to the terms. And here's what I have found out. I found this after driving that vehicle for three days. That a Toyota Prius is good, but a BMW 5, 5 Series is great. There is no comparison. There's no comparison. And, and, and I, now I totally understand why they call it the ultimate driving machine. It is a great vehicle. Well, in Hebrews 4.14, it says these words, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Jesus, in this context, in the text, the verse before us, is being described not only as a high priest, but as a great high priest. You see, high priests are prominent throughout Scripture. We see high priests all over the place in Scripture. But there is only one 
high priest. Only one great high priest exists, and according to this text, that is Jesus, the Son of God. You see, Jesus has ripped up the role and function of the high priest during this time in history, and he's literally, according to this text, he has literally redefined the entire office. The verse says, again, Jesus, this great high priest, has passed through the heavens. I want to explain a little bit more in detail what that means by using Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Allow me to read it to you. It says this, After making purification for sins, he, meaning Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What the verse is saying, what this means is the great high priest, meaning Jesus, is the final sacrifice. It means that Jesus has just granted an all-access pass to his people. We're talking about full access into the Holy of Holies. He's given us full access. Remember, uh, church family, the old system, dealing with the priests, the regular priests, not the great high priest, which is Jesus, the old system was set up so that the high priest would go into that place called the Holy of Holies. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, this priest would make animal sacrifices for the sins of the people. He would do that on behalf of the people. That's one of the roles and functions of a priest. They would go literally behind that veil, right? We read all about that in the Old Testament, about that veil and going behind it and how sacred it was and so on and so forth. But according to this text, Jesus rips the veil and says, you can now have full access. He says in this text, I have literally ripped through the heavens for you. This is great news. Why? I want to explain it to you. It's in verses 15 and 16. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, this is verse 16, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This is great news. And again, why is it great news? Because Jesus has just giving, given us access to the throne of grace. And not only that, church, he's, he says, come to this throne of grace. He's, he's given us access and he's saying, come, come to this throne of grace and do so with boldness. Do so with confidence. And notice he says, and boldness, and us, we see the word let us, you see that in text? Let us approach the throne of grace. The word us refers to all of those who have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's good news. You see, according to this text, this is big, lean in for this. According to this text, you and I, we do not need a priest. 
According to this text, we don't need to go into a a booth and and make confession. We don't need a patron saint. We don't need a guardian angel to get access to God because our great high priest, because of our great high priest, you and I can come just as we are. That's good news. But I also want you to notice something that I've left out. That's at the very end of verse 14. It's a vital vital importance because it says something. It says, let us hold fast. Again, the end of verse 14. Let us, let us, Christian, let us hold fast to our confession. That's what he's telling us to do. So what does confession mean in this context? It means this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what that means. Jesus Christ is is Lord. So he's saying, let us, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, let us, let the Christian hold fast to our confession. Now, notice that it doesn't say hold fast to our salvation, because we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, just recently I looked at a newspaper article and it had to do with the lead singer of a Christian band called Hawk Nelson. Uh, The gentleman's name is John Steingard and he says these words. He says, after growing up in a Christian home and being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band band, and having the word Christian in in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God. It's a sad state of affairs, and we see this happen not just with lead singers and rock bands or uh, famous people. We see this even in the church. But I want to continue to drill down on this uh, gentleman, John Steingard's comments. He continues, and it's not the full article, but it's a little bit more information. He says this. He said... It says this, he said he was only now ready to share my deepest truth because Hawk Nelson isn't playing shows or making new music at the moment. And he no longer needs the band to support his family. Steingard says he had long felt uncomfortable with parts of worship that felt like some kind of weird performance art. But his... Belief in God, and I quote, began to unravel when he started challenging different versions of Bible stories, he said. I quote, he says, once I found that, once I found that I didn't believe the Bible was the perfect word of God, it didn't take long to realize that I was no longer sure he, meaning God, was there at all, and I quote. That's very tragic, and it's sad, and we need to be praying for John Steingard. But this is an example of a person that is not holding fast to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about walking away from God? Has that ever crossed your mind? Have you ever wondered in your mind, like, man, since I became a Christian, um, things kind of went sideways? Have you ever thought, man, since I became a Christian, this is, this is not what I expected. Is this really worth it? Is, is, is he worth it? 
So what can you and I do when we are weak? Maybe we are not walking away or planning to walk away, but, but what do we do when we're weak and we start to doubt and these things start coming into our mind and we, 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 there's mind games going on? What do we do when we're weak? What do we do when we start thinking about running out and running away when we know we should be running in? What do we do? What do we do when we're bedridden? Some of the folks in Lakeshore City Church are bedridden right now. They, they, they couldn't even come to Lakeshore City Church on a Sunday morning, even if it was open. They're bedridden. What do we do when we're, when we're not feeling well or down or out or, or we're just losing our confidence and we're just wondering why, 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 when we're maybe battling a disease or dealing with constant chronic pain or we start reminding ourselves of the great, uh, reminding ourselves uh, of all the challenges that, that are going on in our lives, you just put in your application. Well, here's what we need to do. And it's not easy to do, but we're going to talk about it. What we need to do is we need to start by reminding ourselves. Again, we got to start someplace. we got to start by reminding ourselves of the great sympathetic high priest. Uh, point number two is the great sympathetic high priest. And we see that in verse 15. It says these words, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet, here's the important part, without sin. You see, Jesus is able to save us, and he's also able to sympathize with us. You know, the word sympathize in this context, it means he, he literally, Jesus aches for us. Did you know that? That Jesus aches for us in our time of need? That Jesus feels compassion for us, that Jesus grieves for us. Those are some of the descriptors here in the text. But this verse signals to the believer that Jesus sees you. The great high priest, Jesus, he sees you and he hears you. Did you know that? That Jesus sees you in your pain. He sees what you're going through. He sees you and he hears you. This is a verse that helps every believer to understand that Jesus cares for us deeply. This is a verse that literally some of the Greek wording would say that he is tender toward us. I mean, how would, how would you feel if I said that your dad or your mom was tender to you? Those are terms of endearment. You would want that. Well, the text is saying, Christ, Jesus, this high priest, he sympathizes with you. He is tender towards you. He's a tender high priest who is fully God, yet fully human. You see, he, he, he is the tender high priest who experienced the full range of human weaknesses. He, he experienced the full range of human temptations. In other words, Jesus can relate to us. He walked the earth for 33 years. He's experienced some things here. How is it that we could be so sure that Jesus relates with us? Because Jesus, the man, remember, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus, the man, understands you because he is divine. And because he is divine, he can help you. He understands you because he was man, and because he's divine, he can help you. The verse says that Jesus was tempted. He was tempted as he walked the earth. 
Remember, he came down from heaven. He walked amongst us. He walked on this earth. Yet, the text says he was without sin. Jesus, as many of you know, is perfect without sin. But you might be asking a question that many have asked at this point. But pastor, you just said Jesus can relate with us, but how can he relate with me? I mean, I would say that me and Jesus are on two different planets. He never sinned and I've never done anything but but sin. How in the world can he understand me? How can he relate to me? Because Jesus understands sin. Let me say that again. He understands sin. And the reason for that is he felt sin more than we ever have. He felt sin more than any person that's ever lived. We know that because Jesus on the cross faced all of, he took all of our sin upon himself. He faced the pain of sin. He felt the shame of sin. He understands what it feels like. He took our sin. You see, you and I are a people who have given in to sin. I know that I have. Uh, we've given in to sin. Uh, there have been times we've surrendered ourselves to sin. Yet Jesus Christ, according to this text, this great high priest, he never gave in to sin. But because of the cross, he understands sin more than anyone who has ever lived. The Bible says, even though he never sinned, he was treated on that cross like the vilest of criminals. The Bible teaches us that Jesus literally became sin. That all of the guilt, you know, some of us talk about, I feel this guilt. I, I've sinned, I've done this, I've crossed the line, I feel guilt, I feel shame. According to the text, he became sin and all of the guilt, all of the shame, all of the ridicule, all of the persecution, all of the embarrassment, all of the hostility, all of this was cast upon Jesus. Brothers and sisters, he understands sin, yet he was without sin. He is indeed a great, sympathetic, high priest. I love point number three here. The great high priest invites us to come near. How awesome is that? We actually see that depicted for us in verse 16. But uh, even with, this is what's so cool, even with uh, what I would call our checkered past, the baggage we bring into the relationship with Jesus Christ, even though uh, he knows the secrets that we keep, he knows all the things that we do. He, he, he looks and searches into our heart and sees those deep and dark corners, those things that we try to hide. Even with all of that, our baggage, he invites us to come near to him. Look at verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. So that, here's, here's something for you, if you do that, so that we or you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, that's a firecracker verse right there. Church, even after we come to a saving faith, unfortunately, 
for the believer, if you're in Christ, even after you trust Christ, after you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, there are going to be times where we do things that are ugly. Let's just call it what it is. You are going to sin. You're going to do things that are unthinkable, unfortunately, at times. And sometimes that sin turns into shame. And when that happens, many times the believer uh, falls under what's called condemnation. They start thinking wrong. They, they, they start thinking about their shame and they start feeling hopeless. We start thinking, I just don't think God would want anything to do with me right now. They start thinking, maybe I'll get myself cleaned up. I'm in a bad place. Look at what I've done. And their voice begins to talk to them. Shame. I'm ashamed. Yet this verse says to those who are thinking that, maybe right now at this very moment, he says, I want you. Come just as you are. I want you to come to me right now. Come to me right now with your shame. I want you to come to me right now with your guilt. I want you to come to me right now with the pain that you're experiencing, the, the embarrassment. Come to me. Come to me just as you are. He says, and this is important, I want you to approach me directly. No more middleman needed. You come right now to the throne room of grace. And he says, I want you to always come to me. You know, keep coming to me. We come to him not just once. We keep coming is what this, this, this means. Keep coming to me. Come to me with boldness. Come to me in the good times and come to me in the bad. We don't have to just come to the Lord when our world is falling apart. He says, come to the throne room of grace and sing praises to me. We can come to him and we should come to him at all times and the good times and the bad but he does say come to my throne room of grace do you realize what that verse means come to my throne throne room of grace it's it means this it means i'm inviting you in to come into my presence and then he also says and i have something for you he says come into my presence and I got something for you. That's what the text is saying. Don't you want to know what it is? Because you know what I have for you? I have mercy for you. And, and, and you're going to find grace when you come to me. And you're going to come and get this mercy and this grace. And you're going to get it in your time of need. In other words, there is mercy for our misery when misery is what we're dealing with. You see, grace always comes to us in our time of need. But we got to be careful with that because sometimes we want God to do things on our terms and our timetable. Have you ever noticed that your timetable is completely different than God's? We need to understand that it's in His timing. You know, sometimes we cry out to God for help as we enter into that throne room of grace and we're praying. That's what it's talking about for the believer to pray and leave it all out there, if you will, cry and ask God and, and all the things that go with that. But it seems like, at least in my experience, that Jesus always seems to do things in the nick of time. He doesn't ever seem to do things early. He just seems to do it right on time. So he's not late, but he's never early. Let me give you an example. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, I would just think logically, if you're crying out to God for help, 
Maybe God would show up before they went into the fiery furnace. You see what I mean on timetables? He's going to do it on his terms. But notice, in their time of need, he helped them, but they were already in the furnace. There's somebody that can identify with that right now, can't you? You feel like I'm in the, I'm in the furnace, and you're wondering, is God going to help me? Is he sympathizing with me? Does he understand me? According to the verses before us, he sympathizes with you, he understands you, he sees you, and he hears you. God helps his people. He helped Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He will help you. So I pray that you understand that Jesus is never late. But in addition to this, Jesus is not just providing sympathy. He doesn't just provide sympathy to his people. He does provide help. But he doesn't just provide help. He provides the help that we need. And that's different. He provides the help that we need. You know, the text says that Jesus is our great high priest. We sing the song at times that Jesus is high and lifted up, and that would be true. It's because Jesus went low. Remember, he came to this earth, he went low, and he died for sinners like you and I. That's why God lifted him high. And if God lifted him high, remember he sits at the right hand of God the Father, he's sitting down because it's been finished. Uh, the, the work of a priest has been done. We don't need a priest anymore. The great high priest has settled the score. He's made atonement. He was the perfect, perfect high priest. He handled it. He put all the other priests out of business, okay? So if God lifts him high, we should lift him high. The text also says that we find grace. Remember, we're coming to this throne room of grace, and he's giving us something, right? He's giving us mercy. He's giving us grace. But maybe today, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so, if that's the case, if you're not sure where you would spend eternity, or you know for sure, I have never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then today, you need his saving grace. You can have saving grace by confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He can become your Lord. He will become your Lord when you repent of your sins and you turn from those sins and place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. He will save you. He will give you his saving grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. What you deserve is hell. But because of Christ, he took your sin upon himself and he communed your death sentence. And he took it all and he, he sets you free. So you, have, you, you can have this saving faith. Some of you know Christ. However, you've, you, you've, you've yet to uh, be baptized. I mean, you, you know Christ, but you haven't been obedient to uh, believers' baptism. I just want to uh, just talk to some of you. Maybe some of you are like, I don't really know about this whole baptism thing. I'm, I'm kind of confused. Well, I want to be clear. Baptism doesn't save anybody. It's an expression of one's faith. It's going public with your faith. It's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So it doesn't save you, but there's obedience. It. I mean, Jesus Christ himself was baptized. Okay, so believer's baptism is a part of obedience. So if you're saved, you should be baptized. Now, I would also challenge everybody in our church to consider something. Uh, 
I'll challenge you to go into your New Testament and find me one non-baptized believer. You won't find one. You won't find one. So if you need to be baptized, I want to encourage you to let that be known so that we can put into we can talk to you about baptism and ensure that you are baptism. If you're already in Christ, so again, we've talked about the non-believer, but now we're talking about the believer. If you're already in Christ, if you're a believer, then you already have a saving grace. You've already been saved. You've had the saving grace, if you will. And, and, and because of that, you're also given a strengthening grace. So you already have the saving grace, but you've also been given a strengthening grace. But brothers and sisters, when you come to that throne room of grace, be praying that God would strengthen you. Give me that strengthening grace. Cry out for that. Ask for it. That when you come to his throne room of grace, ask for that strengthening grace. Before I get into the application uh, this morning, that's kind of what you should do. I just want to remind you where we've been so far. Remember, we started off with... Uh, uh, good to great. I gave you the illustration about uh, the Prius being a good car, having some fun with that, and the BMW being a great car. Obviously, uh, that was a terrific upgrade, wasn't it? So having some fun with that, that Jesus Christ is not good. He's not a, a good high priest. He's the great high priest. He's the super upgrade, if you will. We also learned uh, point number two, that, that Jesus, or the, the, Jesus is the great sympathetic high priest. He was, he's sympathetic to us. And then lastly, we talked about the great high priest who invites us to come near him. So with that in view, I want us to think about what do we do now? Uh, what do we do with what we've heard this morning? Well, brothers and sisters, according to the text, here's what we do. We approach the throne room of grace. But not only do we approach him, we come to him, we do so with confidence. We do so with boldness even when we have sinned and we feel shame. Again, it doesn't always have to be we feel shame and sorrow before we go to him. We can go to him when things are going great. We can sing and, and, and cry out to him and thank him, but we're to come to him often with confidence and boldness no matter what we're going through. When you come to him, start praying. Start talking to him. Speak openly to him. Speak emotionally. Speak frankly. Speak with reverence to him. What else do we do? We just continue to approach. We continue to keep coming to him. We keep coming into his presence. We make that a habit. We just keep coming. The text says just keep coming. Keep coming. Keep obtaining mercy. I mean, you know, nobody says, I'd like to go get that mercy today. I'd like to get that one mercy. No, we keep coming to get mercy. We get more and more mercy. Uh, brothers and sisters, King David did it. Uh, King David, uh, when he did that, God heard King David. And what does the text say? That God gave him mercy. He'll do the same thing for you. He'll do the same thing for me. He sees us and he hears us and he grants us mercy. What are we to do? Again, what's the application? Keep coming to obtain grace and keep getting that grace over and over and over again. Keep coming. Keep asking. Get all the grace that you need. I'm not talking about sloppy grace. I'm talking about grace. Come to the throne room of grace. According to the text, this mercy seat, or coming into his presence, if you will, 
this office never closes. He's the great high priest and he never closes. He's always open for business. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, the people of God travel to unsavory places. But the moment that you realize that you're in the wrong place, I want to encourage you to immediately turn around and start running to the throne room of grace. And according to this text, and in doing so, you will receive his mercy and grace. I love you, church. God bless you.